The Print Files, where we bring you the inside story on the printing industry by Print21, the people who know print. G'day and welcome to the latest episode of It's Been a Big Month in Print, the podcast for the print industry from The Print Files, where we dig deep into the big issues impacting the industry each month. I'm Wayne Robinson, editor of the Print 21 Media Hub. And I'm Lindy Houston, publisher of Print 21 and its stablemate, PK and Packaging News. So welcome everyone to our August episode of It's Been a Big Month in Print. Wayne, let's get the show on the road and kick off with the Women's World Cup, the biggest event in Australia since the Olympics. And what a wonderful few weeks it was. Well done to the Matildas who had us on the edge of our seats and who can ever forget that penalty shootout. But what did it all mean for print? Uh, Well, Lindy, for print, the World Cup was good news as well. Uh, There was a significant volume of work that was associated with the World Cup, which was welcome because the the print industries have been actually having a bit of a downturn since uh, April, May, June. It's been fairly quiet all over. So the Women's World Cup provided uh, a welcome fillip, and it also gave the opportunity for the print industry to shine, which it grabbed with both hands. Uh, I was lucky enough to go to a couple of games, and of course we work in the CBD, and the graphics that have been produced before the Women's World Cup around the stadiums, around the CBDs, the display print in particular, has been outstanding and has really shown the value of print. Uh, as well as that, there's been a lot of print produced for the handbooks, guides, posters, the soccer shirts for the youngsters. Two of my grandkids had the uh, Kerr and Fowler uh, soccer shirts. They've sold out, gone and flown off the shelves. So it's really shown print in a good light. There was, of course, a big furore uh, that uh, would have affected print and all industry when the Prime Minister suggested that a holiday uh, be taking place if the Matildas won the World Cup. Um, a great suggestion, of course. The ordinary working person was absolutely delighted with the idea. Always a big ask in reality because Matildas are nowhere near as well funded as the teams that were that, that won it and did incredibly well to get into the top four. Um, but that was a, that was a huge issue, and the, the deal was: should print industry, should industry, should print pay for that holiday? Because effectively, if you want your staff to come in on that day, you now got to pay them not 100% of their wages, but 250%. And for many print businesses, that would tip them from profit into loss on certain jobs. It didn't happen, but uh, that was one of the big talking points from the Matilda's uh, dream run. Yeah, it would have been great to see them go all the way, (laughs) Wayne. I certainly was one of the people watching avidly and also one of the people admiring all the fantastic graphics that you mentioned there. Just made me excited to to know that print the things that print can do in terms of supporting our teams out there, our Matildas. But anyway, um, the government's power to impact industrial relations is also being seen in proposed changes to casuals, Wayne. And we know that casuals, casual workers, pay a major part in many print businesses. Now, the proposal that Workplace Relations Minister Tony Burke wants to add to the Act is for casuals to have the right to become permanent employees after six months of regular rostered hours, not 12 months as it is at present. So why is this ruffling feathers in the print industry? Well, as you say, Lindy, casuals, as everyone knows, are a major part of the print industry because print is a peaks and troughs business. Uh, and for, for well, forever, casuals have been part of that. Up until now, a casual has had the right to become permanent after 12 months of regular rostered hours. 
print industry argues, Charles Watson, the policy IR and governance manager at PVCA argues, and the, the print industry bosses argue, that six months is just too short a time to tell if someone's permanent rostered employment is worth taking on over, over on, a, on a permanent basis, because six months work might be boom time. But as I've just indicated earlier, actually the last few months in the print industry have certainly not been boom time. And if you've taken on permanent staff in that time that were casuals before, you're going to be really hurting. And so the industry is arguing, PVCA is arguing and making the point to everybody. Uh, and it will be lobbying the government strongly and urging all print businesses to lobby the government if Minister Burke decides to go ahead with this arrangement. Charles Watson says it will just muddy the waters. Print businesses, almost on, or hardly any of them, have their own HR departments. It'll be too big a change and will be potentially costly. And he argues that the current casuals arrangement suits both the employers and the casual staff themselves who can pick and choose their shifts according to their own particular circumstances, whatever they happen to be. Well, I don't know how many casuals the country's biggest print operation, IVE, uses, but presumably there have been a few on site recently since it has just finished printing the country's biggest print job. That's the Voice pamphlet, which came with quite a story around it, didn't it, Wayne? Yeah, The Voice, Lindy, 13 million or 12.45 million copies of printed, 20 pages plus a four-page expansion brochure, uh, the biggest print job of the year. I've has just printed, obviously the only printer in the country that could do that size of work, size of job. Um, now it becomes the even bigger job of distributing it because under legislation it has to go to every household in the country. And that's everywhere from a waterfront mansion to an urban high rise, to a caravan park, to a nursing home, to a remote indigenous settlement. That's going to be a huge job and it has to take place. Those, those voice pamphlets have to be delivered and a minimum of two weeks before the actual vote referendum date takes place. And that's why many people think the referendum date will now be middle of October, uh, because it will take until the end of September to get all these 13 million jobs distributed. It almost didn't happen. Uh, the government didn't want to print it because obviously the costs of printing and mailing and distributing are significant. Uh, but the both the yes and the no sides uh, and the PBSA were lobbying strongly for it actually to be printed, to be produced. So, and it's, it's uh, as Kelly Northwood at CEO at PBCA said, it's print is the only medium, the only channel, the only communication channel that can engage directly with every person while providing they can read, of course, but with every person uh, in the country. They can read it whenever they want. They can go back to it whenever they want. They can choose to read a bit at a time if they want. It's accessible, unlike digital media, which is, has limited accessibility to, especially to certain sections of society. So it's a great story, a great job, and well done to I for printing that many. Well, IVE's also just released its full-year results, the first since it acquired um, the stricken, its stricken rival, Avato, in September last year. What did the results tell us? Uh, yeah, fantastic set of results for IVE, $967 million. That's, a that's the revenue. That's a 27.5% uplift. Uh, not all of it from Avato by any means. Uh, EBITDA was up by 23% to $120 million. Net profit after tax up by 20% to $40 million. So uh, a stellar set of figures in anyone's book, really, uh, especially considering the volatility that's happened with COVID, with supply of paper coming in, with electricity prices going through the roof. In fact, I've, as we mentioned on this uh, show a couple of, couple of issues ago, uh, has now uh, engaged a new company to supply all its energy entirely from renewable sources from 1st of January. Uh, and part of the driving factor for that was the soaring costs that it was paying for its, for its electricity. Um, but yeah, a terrific set of figures. 
In that annual report, they, they said that the Avato integration is proceeding ahead of schedule. Uh, three of the Avato's big man rolling presses will be going into three different IVE sites, one at Huntingwood, one at Silverwater, and one in Victoria Sunshine there. And they will actually be replacing old uh, older IVE machines. Focus on the next 12 months for IVE will be uh, organic growth, operational efficiency, executing the final phase of the Avato integration, uh, and uh, broadening its base uh, as it's continued to do successfully. Originally, obviously, it was a commercial printer and a web printer. Then it's huge, a huge display print business now with the acquisitions that, that it's made. Um, it's, in, uh, it's got Lasso, which is its digital arm. Uh, it's seriously now looking at the apparel market. It's a $1.2 billion market in Australia. I was seriously looking at that. And it's also now made, uh, made it clear that it is going to be entering the packaging market in this financial year. Yeah, that certainly piqued my interest, Wayne. And it tells a story that we have um, touched on several times in this podcast, that packaging is really a place where commercial printers are looking to expand their base. Um, and there's so much opportunity there. I understand that IVE is looking specifically or primarily first at the folding cartons market. Why is that, Wayne? Yeah, well, it, uh, it hired a, uh, a large consultancy to, to check out the packaging market for it. IVE's motivation is the fact that its primary revenue it comes from heat set web offset printing, the catalogs that we see for JB Hi-Fi and people like that, as well as publishing. And now those markets are not going to grow. In fact, they are, if anything, going to decline slightly. So it's looking for alternative significant markets. Uh, and of course, packaging is one of those. It, it, uh, they looked at it, hired a consultancy firm uh, and came back with the fact that the short run, high margin folding carton segments and flexible packaging are the big, big opportunities. And it, because of its similarities, the folding carton, because of similarities with many of the group's existing businesses, and it says it's aligned ESC credentials, that $700 million a year fiber-based folding carton market is where its initial and primary focus area will lie. Um, what's it going to do about it? Well, it's, it's raised a $40 million war chest to go out and acquire a folding carton business. Uh, so if you've got a folding carton business and you're in the uh, and you're in the market to sell, give Jeff Selig a ring. Um, it uh, isn't looking to take on the big boys, uh, it's looking to operate in that mid to small tier area where it can operate in short run, high margin, high value work. Because, of course, it will already has some presses uh, to do that with its, with its Heidelbergs. Um, the company also indicated that it would be looking to consolidate that market, which presumably means that it will be looking to add and beef up and become a major player in that medium to short run field. Yeah, and also interesting that flexible packaging has caught its attention. Um, we know that one of the biggest growth areas is flexible pouches. And we also know that there's several players getting in at that um, entry level using digital printing. Um, and one of the focus areas on at the shows that are coming up at Label Expo, Drupa, and also at we're at Interpack is that that printing and converting of flexible materials which is such a yeah it's a it's very lucrative end of the market yeah and big uh, the uh, you've only got to go to an airport or or anywhere these days supermarket the amount of product that is now packaged in pouches stand up pouches is immense uh, and we've seen companies like epac who've built their whole business 
on on that. And not and EPAC hasn't gone after high volume, high run business. Its main customer base are, are startup entrepreneurs. Uh, so that you're right, Lindy. That whole flexible packaging, digital flexible packaging business, it's a market that is potentially a huge size. It's already significant and can only be bigger because of the real benefits that print digital printing in particular brings to those people. In other words, it gives them huge real estate uh, and, in, and short-run on-demand products, which they, of course, or of course, seem to be really responding to. And it's really especially huge in the food sector. I interviewed the Food and Grocery Council CEO the other day, Tanya Baden, who was talking about the National Plastics Recycling Scheme for soft plastics, because as you know, um, there's a massive problem there um, at the moment because we aren't recycling soft plastics. And there is a scheme underway to make sure that we can curbside collect the soft plastics. So that too will drive growth as it becomes more acceptable to use pouches. But there's a huge percentage of food packaging that is already in flexible packaging. Okay, but we also have to congratulate Ive um, because it's been awarded the Coal Service and Innovation Partner of the Year, which is a great achievement when you consider how many suppliers coals must have. And on the same theme, congratulations also goes to Paper packaging converter, paper-based packaging converter, Deckpack, which has been awarded the KFC Supplier of the Year. Again, from all the different suppliers, it was selected. So I think there were up to 12 suppliers in the category that Deckpack was competing in. Yeah, it's really indicative, Lindy, of how far print has come from the bad old days of customer relations, which were basically, you want some print, get to the back of the queue. Anyone who's around in the 70s the 80s will remember those days. Uh, but these companies, Ive, Deppack, they're servicing really switched on clients. And to win Supplier of the Year, it's not just a kind of meaningless moniker. It actually shows a significant trend in the industry of print businesses getting on the front foot, determined to get close to their clients, to understand their needs, and to really provide them with what, with what they want. So yeah, terrific. Well done. Congratulations to both companies. And the print industry is also not only on customer relations come far, um, it's also been making tremendous progress environmentally. And some industry pundits, including yourself, Wayne, have been saying that no industry has cleaned up its environmental act more than print. Yeah, well, I certainly subscribe to that view, Lindy. Certainly anyone, I've just mentioned the 1970s or 80s, anyone that was around in the industry in those days will remember the amount of toxic solvents that used then was terrible. Uh, it was accepted as completely normal, of course. Thankfully, they're now all gone. Paper now all comes from certified sources. Waste is managed effectively. Consumables such as plates, toners, paper, all recycled. Uh, and now print businesses are turning to renewable energy. Well, I've, who we mentioned earlier, has signed a deal for all its energy tra to transition to 100% renewable energy. It's primarily wind power, with the switch set to start on New Year's Day. And this month, local ink manufacturer Colormaker has just won an Environmental Sustainability Award. And Prima PMI is the latest of an increasing number of print businesses to make the switch to renewable energy. So we're hearing it again and again, Wayne. Yeah, it, we are. And it's really encouraging. Premium PMI, Australia's largest print-on-demand fulfiller, it's successfully transitioned its energy mix to be fully powered. And that's through a combination of solar, wind and hydro. Underscoring, it says, its strong commitment to sustainable energy, and it certainly does. The company says it had to actually navigate a complex landscape of sourcing for its energy alternative sources. And now, though, it has incorporated renewable energy into its everyday operations. 
So setting a positive example. Fantastic. Prima PMI's own rooftop solar farm generates a considerable amount of its energy needs with the balance supplemented by the Granville Harbour wind farm and hydropower from Tasmania during periods of lower sun or wind availability. So the report goes, Wayne. The company says that this blend ensures a consistent power supply and fully supported by renewable sources. The wind farm is located on the west coast of Tasmania, and this one was commissioned three years ago. Yeah, they are uh, growing in number, renewable sources are growing in number. There is a bit of a debate today or this week, I know, about the, a bit of a decline in investment in renewables. Uh, hopefully, that's just a temporary thing. The government will provide more incentives. Uh, but it's great to see the print industry leading companies like Prima PMI, huge company. Uh, they've got, I mean, thousands. They said they provide thousands, literally thousands of products. Fantastic business. It's so good to see businesses transitioning. No one can doubt their environmental concern, but they are businesses. And it's important to point out that there are financial benefits here too. Certainly for IVE, one of the major motivations for its switch to renewables uh, was the financials, the soaring cost of its energy, of its electricity, uh, was astronomic and they found a great solution. So although businesses, almost all businesses, I would imagine, have a philosophical desire to do the best for the planet, and to re reduce their carbon footprint, there are actually financial benefits, and they will all tell you that as well. Well, speaking of financials, Wayne, I saw that you put through a rather um, interesting expense form this week with a sizable claim, uh, which relates to a flight to Dusseldorf next May. I'm glad you're getting in early. That means you're getting the flight at a discount. Um, but that can only mean one thing. The big one is approaching. Yeah, Drupa, the, the uh, world's biggest trade show, certainly the biggest event in print. Uh, that's going to be happening in just nine months' time. Uh, it's starting to appear on the horizon now. Uh, yep, yeah, I'd advise everyone, if you've not booked your flights and your accommodation, get in quick because anyone that's been knows that Dusseldorf, it's not a big place. And with several hundred thousand print professionals set to travel there in May, uh, you'll need to make sure you've got somewhere sorted so you're not having to travel 50 miles after the show ends to your accommodation. Well, my, my accommodation is booked, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to being there too. Okay, excellent. Yeah, um, all the big names is now signing up. Canon is the is the latest uh, big name company to sign, and probably the last of the real big ones. Uh, Drupa takes place uh, 11 days, 28th of May to 7th of June. It's cut down, slimmed down from the 15 days that it normally is. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're all really looking forward to it. So one of the things I'll be really interested to see at Drupa Wayne is an update on inkjet printing because inkjet printing has long been touted by its proponents as the future of print. Do you think this Drupa show um, will indicate the growth of inkjet into the mainstream? It could well do, Lindy. I mean, as you say, long been touted are appropriate words there because inkjet has been uh, at Drupa for uh, since at least the 2020-12 show. Of course, inkjet printing has taken over some areas, wide format being the number one. Uh, it also is used extensively in labels. And then high-volume web-fed systems for inkjet haven't really broken through to the commercial world. There are some sheet-fed uh, inkjet machines. Kyocera has launched one now uh, that, that are around. But this show will show, we'll see, yeah, definitely some B2 inkjet machines from uh, Konica Minolta, which, of course, has it already. It's with a Securio jet. Uh, Canon may or may not have an updated version of the Voyager that it showed at the last show. Uh, Rico will, I think, almost certainly launch its Shefed B2 inkjet machine, the X75, so-called Dragon machine. 
So yeah, there will be plenty of opportunity, plenty of sheet-fed inkjet technology on the floor. Whether it's immediately available, we won't know. Whether the print industry will take it up also remains to be seen. So far, uh, it's been more of a niche and a specialist uh, area than coming into the mainstream. But times move on, don't they? And we'll uh, we'll wait to see. Well, it certainly will be quite the show. And um, yep, we're counting the months already. Well, on that note, I think we should wrap up this episode of It's Been a Big Month in Print. I wonder if we'll ever say it's been a small month in print. I hope not, Wayne. Uh, There can be no doubt that it has been, again, a very newsworthy time. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We value your feedback as always. And now it's time for me, Lindy Houston, to say goodbye. And it's goodbye from this episode of The Print Files from me, Wayne Robinson. We look forward to you joining us again the next time for It's Been a Big Month in Print. The Print Files podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Print 21, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Print 21, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact Print 21 via their website, that's print21.com.au, or send an email to editor at print21.com.au. You can subscribe to The Print Files via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on the printing industry at print21.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.